Welcome to The Color of Us. I'm incredibly excited to introduce today's speaker, Aisha Fukushima, a performance lecturer, justice strategist, singer, songwriter, and raptivist. She founded Raptivism, a hip-hop project spanning over 20 countries and four continents, amplifying universal efforts for freedom and justice. She's a multilingual, multiracial, African-American Japanese woman who has done lectures and performances across the world. Her work with Raptivism has been featured on Oprah Magazine and TEDx, to name only a few organizations. She has spoken with the president of Estonia about the power of music to create change, and she has also presented at such venues as Stanford University, Yale Law School, Duke University, and the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity. In keynotes, she links the themes such as hip-hop, global citizenship, empowerment, feminism, and cultural activism through storytelling as well as live musical performance. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to talk to you today. Likewise, thank you for that wonderful introduction and just um, keeping all of these conversational threads going and flowing. I'm just grateful to be here, so thank you. Starting off, I would love to hear more about your background growing up as a multiracial American and how you came to found Raptivism. Yes. Oh, gosh, so many layers. Um, I grew up in, thank you for that question, and I grew up in Seattle, Washington, occupied Duwamish territory, uh, and I also have roots in Yokohama, Japan. So um, at an early age, I was kind of flying back and forth between multiple places, those two in particular, but also other cities. And sometimes I would even get to an airport and my mom would often jokingly retell the story of me being like, I'm home at the airport. <laughs> feeling somehow that I think it was something about a liminal space, right? Uh, feeling at home in kind of these places of transition. Um, and so I think that resonates a lot with having mixed roots, uh, both being African American and Japanese. And I think it started to get me to think about myself as a global or a global, uh, meaning local to different places in the world, a global citizen um, on a lot of different levels, even as a young person. And uh, I remember looking outside of the window of an airplane and seeing that the world was not cut up in the same way that I saw it uh, depicted on what is often called the political map that is hanging up in classrooms and that um, the boundaries and borders that were drawn out on those types of maps and a lot of the, the kind of depictions that we get in everyday, I guess, media consumption are not always as clear and as um, stark as uh, sometimes we are told. And so I started to think about the fluidity between identities and um, yeah, just our connectivity that those boundaries and borders are also constructed and so how does that does that layer onto how we see the world in real time and every day walking down the street what assumptions what boundaries and borders uh, are erected even in our mind's eye so to speak uh, with one another and I started to kind of play around and start to deconstruct that as a very young person as even a toddler and I think the music was definitely um, because my parents worked in the music industry, seeing from behind the scenes amazing concerts like James Brown and Funkadelic and just these incredible artists performing, I could see the connectivity between people that was very um, cohesive across a lot of different cultures, a lot of different experiences that that music allowed us to share a similar beat. <laughs> 
I'm bobbing with it now. I'm grooving a little bit. Um, and sharing that tempo, sharing that uh, that experience, that lived experience in a given moment and being present with one another was such an incredible gift and a transformative space for people to connect the dots between experiences that are sometimes uh, we're told don't belong together or you know, like dance floors in the United States were desegregated before that happened in law, uh, at least informally people right were coming together and so yeah I guess music. Um, poetry, the arts has always been kind of a medium through which I've done that activism. And Sonia, I think about your activism and I get so inspired. I, I, it reminds me a little bit too of like, you know, around 14 years old, starting to do community activism um, in my local community and then doing that globally now uh, and not expecting that to be the path, but essentially those, those roots of some of my identity Flew or, or was were flowing into um, that larger vision of how do we bring people together? And I view art and creativity um, not just as artists. Not everyone needs to be an artist to enjoy it or to participate, um, but that that medium can be really powerful for bringing people together and inviting them to imagine something different than the status quo, so that they can start to blueprint and build collectively a world that's more just and more equal and more compassionate towards ourselves and one another. Like you said, you grew up in both the United States and Japan and had a very multicultural upbringing. How did navigating these two different environments shape your own sense of identity? Mm. Well, I think trying to figure out how to live as fluidly as I felt between both um, the layers of culture in my household and the many other cultures that informed who I am and who I was and am constantly becoming, that was difficult. <laughs> and so, you know, I remember bringing bento lunches, um, more traditional kind of Japanese uh, style of kind of boxed lunch in the United States to my school and kids going, what are you eating? Oh, that's so gross, seaweed, Ugh! you know, pretending to throw up in the trash and how difficult that was and that's just like a very surface <laughs> kind of example um and then vice versa sort of being in japan and uh not always phenotypically fitting in so there's a term called hafu uh which some people use some people have moved on to daburu uh, meaning like double or hafu meaning half and um, never really feeling like those terms fit me, uh, in part because of the racialized science between terms like half. I don't, I don't fully endorse. <laughs> I'm not on board with it um, in my in my lived experience and for my own uh, identification. So, I think part of my writing practice, part of being creative, came from this space of wanting to hear more stories, um, wanting to hear more narratives, see more examples on the screen and beyond the screen in everyday life that allowed me to feel like I could live as my whole self. And sometimes it also allowed me, because I would speak up and be like, this is bento lunch. You know, I let people know what's going on and this is really good. You should try it, like have some, that sometimes that was met with vitriol or that was met with bullying or all the other things that can happen. And so I noticed that when I put it into a creative format, a song, a poem, and then I could speak my mind and speak my truth as 
loudly or quietly or dynamically as I wanted to, and that people's ears and eyes and senses opened up to my experience and hopefully the experiences of those that they might have deemed other, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, from themselves. And their heart opened as well um, in the process. And so, yeah, I think um, part of how I navigated that was having creativity as sort of a pulley or a technology to be able to start the conversations in my local and global communities um, so that we could go a little bit deeper in knowing, getting to know one, one another and fostering a different kind of understanding that wasn't just based on the surface stereotypes. Um, yeah, so that's part of how I navigated it. <laughs> there are a lot of other <laughs> threads and strands. Uh, I'm always learning even now. Thank you. Preparing for this podcast, I've had the opportunity to listen to several of your TED Talks, and I'm incredibly impressed. Oh, and one you. of them, you address the what are you question. That's kind of like a universal experience for multiracial individuals such as myself. Um, what stood out to me is that you commented uh, that many people weren't really asking about your background, but instead wanted to tell you about your background. What do you think um, this says about the way multiracial individuals are viewed in our society today? Hmm. You know, I've been writing what might end up being a book on this topic. And one of the things that comes to mind is it sometimes feels like a script. Uh, I don't know if this is also your experience, but when people say, what are you? And then I almost, I, from my lived experience, I just have a list of different kinds of answers that I might give. Exactly. And then the right, and then the responses like the, there's a finite number of responses that people have to those answers, and then it's like you can just almost you just predict it, right? <laughs> I see you nodding, like okay, I'm not alone. Um, so yeah, I think that tells me that that's not necessarily just like uh, an individual experience that that where that's rooted from but rather that there's a, a socialization that happens, right? Um, there is a process in which we learn to code one another's bodies in a particular way to read uh, or try to read, quote unquote, a face with scare quotes there, right? <laughs> and to try to categorize people and fit them into boxes when we're, you know, three-dimensional, multi, four, five-dimensional beings, or, you know, we have many dimensions and we're not meant to be flattened into a little box. And so I get, I guess, the older I've gotten, I've gotten more and more curious about sort of the roots of where those questions are coming from, the histories of racialization that have been used um, to oppress and divide and or uh, categorize in ways that are not necessarily serving a liberatory practice, a practice towards what allows us to feel most free and most ourselves. Um, and I resist, I continue to resist that what are you question by asking people what do they mean and, and inviting us to unpack it together. <laughs> if I have the energy, <laughs> don't, not, we don't always have to do that. Um, and I also don't use terms like half or quarter, uh, things like that. I like to say that I am abundant, that you know we are more than enough. Uh, too often we're told we're too much or not enough, or you know all these different kinds of uh, fraction language. I think sometimes lends itself to like 
how you qualify, quote unquote, <laughs> you know, in any given group. And so giving, trying to remember the abundance that I have, um, the socialization that might impose those questions and to really develop the language, a separate language that allows me to feel most empowered. Instead of using terms like half or quarter, I like to use the term mixed roots, which I learned from a group called Mixed Roots Japan that I've had the honor of collaborating with. Um, and I love the term roots because it, it instead of using these core, these fraction kind of languages and that sometimes also lends itself to people saying like, well, which half is which? Which half do you like more, right? It, it goes down this whole tunnel of, <laughs> of conversation. Roots to me are much more expansive, they can't always be seen above ground. And so the phenotype doesn't always reflect all of the wealth of experience, the abundance that we each have. And, and so I think for me, that metaphor feels very fitting. It's also about what's nutritive. So it's not just uh, what's on the surface. It's not just uh, maybe what you read on paper as being, for example, African-American and Japanese, that doesn't tell you everything about sort of my cultural upbringing. And so um, I think, when I think about tree roots or plant roots, for example, you can think about all of the different mycelia, all of the different soil, all the different nutrients that feed into that. Um, that image feels much more true to my humble experience. And so I've been playing with different kinds of language to try to distance myself or at least take a step back, a breath from the language that doesn't serve the greater purpose of becoming <laughs> as a human being <laughs> um, and and to try to embrace and try to lift up language that at least for me feels more liberatory i'd be curious to learn from you if uh yeah how how you navigate that question too and uh, what wisdom you've uh, developed <laughs> Definitely. I like your response a lot of talking about mixed roots. I've actually never heard that term before, but the more you think about it, the more it makes sense and that multiracial individuals aren't merely what's defined on their phenotypic or surface level appearance. And often that goes a lot deeper in terms of family lineage, backgrounds, culture they identify to. Usually when I get the question, what are you? It takes me a moment and depending on the mood that I'm in, sometimes I'll go with the standard list of set responses or mm -hmm. I'll, like you said, take a moment to really deconstruct what that question means and ask the individual, <laughs> oh, well, what do you mean by this question? Do you mean like my background, where my family is from, that kind of thing? And mm -hmm. If I have the energy, I'll try to educate them on why that question is harmful. But like you said, it takes a lot sometimes. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm nodding to all of the things that you're saying. <laughs> it definitely resonates. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Of course. In another one of your TED Talks, you also discussed what you said was transcending the status quo when it comes to race, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, etc. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what that status quo looks like in our contemporary society and why it's so important that we look beyond that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. All the things. There's so much happening <laughs> in current events right now. Um, I think one of the or some of the consistent threads that I see I, I'm thinking about MLK, especially in the later uh, phase of his life um, that ended too soon, 
uh, he talked about the challenges of racism, which we all know he often gets kind of categorized as talking about racism, but we forget to talk about the militarism as well and mass consumerism or um, he kind of had a critique of capitalism essentially and um, exploitation and trying to find better ways for people for workers to have rights and people to make a decent income and you know and I think um, these three pillars that he talked about that um, sometimes get ed edited out of the I have a dream version of MLK um, that talking about militarism and wanting to have more peace talking about racism and its connection um, to socioeconomic uh, oppression power and oppression dynamics, I think those are key topics, even today uh, and the inequality that exists in each of those areas, I mean right now i'm in Denmark and so also being in Europe in this geographic space, thinking about the war in Ukraine regularly, thinking about, uh, you know, people suffering through pandem the pandemic still, right? all of the different um, current events that we're experiencing, I think we're seeing the flows of that and how those, those inequalities in um, what is currently the status quo continue to affect people's lives. And um, Pete, picking up those three categories. I don't want to block out gender, for example, or sexuality or religious inequalities and discrimination. Um, I think MLK would have also added if he was alive today, perhaps uh, environmental and climate movements right, to those those three pillars, I would add that fourth at least. Um, and he might uh, resonate with that. So I think um, living more sustainably, figuring out ways that we can do that um, figuring out ways that we can create economic systems and social and political systems uh, that aren't necessarily based on exploitation, but rather allow people to live abundantly <laughs> um, because there is enough, you know, on this planet for people to um, survive and even thrive without degrading the whole environment to find a balance with some of these key elements. And um, I love there's a poem by Mahmoud Darwish, a Palestinian poet, and he says, here on this earth, we have everything that makes life worth living. Here on this earth, we have everything that makes life worth living. And so I'd, I like to think, for me, when I hear that line of poetry, um, I think, then why fight over it? <laughs> Which is kind of the, the militarism critique a little bit like, if we have what we need, you know, <laughs> um, how can we how can we find ways to move forward together with the planet, um, and and not continue uh, perhaps the the traditions or the the habitus the habits that we've picked up over time that we've created over time um, that are harmful to us and to one another. Uh, yeah, so that it's it's a large topic. Hopefully, those threads. <laughs> come together and make sense, but those are at least some of the things that are on my mind in terms of the status quo and where I hope, where I'm dreaming us for us to go forward to. Thank you. It really does. All the things that you talked about and the different pillars like you refer to in the status quo, it makes me think of intersectionality between those issues yes. and how often mm. one leads to the other or improvement in one area can lend itself to the other. So I think you're right. It's very important that we all strive towards this new collective of transcending the status quo and looking beyond what we see in our world today. 
Um, yes. I have a final question. At The Color of Us, the mission is to raise awareness, foster connection and conversation, and elevate the voices of multiracial and multicultural youth. As we conclude our conversation for the day, what advice would you give my generation of multiracial and multicultural youth? Yes. Oh my gosh. I want to ask you the same question. Okay. I, I, I might ask you the same question, um, even though I know you've answered this in a lot of different ways. <laughs> Actually, would you mind starting? I would be curious to hear what you're from doing these podcasts, from doing all the incredible work that you've been doing. Um, what comes to mind for you? If it's okay. <laughs> of course. One of the biggest things that comes to mind for me is um, I'm from Arizona, Phoenix, and the area in which I grew up was a very um, homogenous society where I didn't see many people that looked like me growing up. I didn't have any multiracial friends and I wasn't really aware that this vibrant community existed. So mm. by doing these podcasts and growing into my own identity, I think one of the most important things to share with my generation multiracial youth is that there is this vibrant community of multiracial individuals out there doing such amazing work in fields from activism, public speaking, research. I actually just learned recently there's a whole field dedicated to multiracial and multi-ethnic research that's so underlooked and really needs to be explored more, but it's just this amazing community of individuals and who are all doing such wonderful things. And if we look beyond what's currently in our world presently, we can find this robust network of individuals. And that's something really amazing. Ooh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can I do poetry snaps? Will that show up in the, <laughs> yes, <it laughs> in the sound? Oh my gosh. Um, yes. I thank you for kicking us off with that. Um, all that wisdom. I think that resonates a lot. Um, for some reason, one of the first things that comes to mind is with things are slightly different in that social media was important when I was younger, but I have this feeling that um, kind of just the online platforms, the ability to record from in a phone in any given moment that sometimes that creates a lot of pressure. And maybe sometimes if you're trying to make a difference, a feeling of perfectionism or like an imposed and also sometimes the imposter syndrome that can come with like, oh, is, am I do is it good enough? Am I doing good enough? Which, yeah, can even tie to sometimes the feelings of enough and not enough that can arise uh, with the way people sometimes talk about mixed roots identities, which is actually overflowing with its richness, I'd like to say. Um, so I bring up kind of that some of that scarcity or that feeling because I think it creates a lot of pressure that doesn't always make diamonds, <laughs> right? It doesn't always yield um, our best selves to come forth. And I think that each of us has something to offer. Um, this is not about being perfect. It's a learning process. It's okay to take one step at a time. It's okay to make quote unquote mistakes. Like how else, you know, we are living, everyone has um, things that they overlook they have assumptions, they have uh, things that they're figuring out, they might not show it in, <laughs> online in a photo, but like we're humans. And so I just, and I worry about sometimes the cancel culture, how it, it, it thins out a potential large group of people who care and who wanna make a difference, but who might be afraid. And so I don't know if that resonates with anyone, I just wanna say you're not alone. Um, and your presence is powerful. And I hope that 
Um, you know, the fear can sometimes get the best of us. And at the same time, your abundance in all the other areas, your wisdom, I hope that gets the even uh, louder or more prominent space in your mind and your heart as you continue to build momentum because you showing up you creating the projects that you create you dreaming up the visions you joining hands with someone else who's doing the work that most inspires you um that is much more powerful and empowering than any than the fear thoughts that can be planted <laughs> um so i just i guess that's that's my thought is a word of encouragement in that way and what i find is that once you even if you're not sure where to start, perhaps journaling or just giving yourself space to like create a little vision board, throw out some key themes that come alive for you and that can change over time, that's also okay, we, we evolve. Um, then as you reach out, as you shake hands, as you go to the events, as you write emails to connect with the people who you think most resonate um, with the causes you're passionate about, what I find is that it's a little bit like being in a band room. I don't know if this, if you've ever done this, but if you like tap a, or make a loud noise, sometimes the drums in in a, the room will start shaking. They they have their they they pick up on the resonance of the sound that you're sending out. Um, and I think activism can sometimes feel like that. Sometimes you're like, no one's in this band room. What's happening? I'm gonna make a sound, and then suddenly. Right, the, the drums start to, to resonate that um, also that momentum, it might take time for the seeds planted to grow to sprout, uh, but have faith in the process and then I, I trust that some of that resonance will also come flowing back to you. And perhaps next thing you know you'll be in the whole band mix or whatever metaphor works for you. <laughs> um, that that momentum will will grow and build uh, collectively. Um, in ways that one might not even imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you're not alone. I think it's important to remember that we can work together. I think there's a lot of pressure for people to be the one to take on all the things. Um, uh, and I think most movements have been started by young people, first of all, so y'all are doing the work. <laughs> not to say you should be the only ones, because uh, we all need to pitch in. <laughs> we It's all of our responsibility, but also that you know, it's a collective effort. And so, you know, that pressure, if you're feeling like it's too much pressure, then delegating, finding solidarity building um, methods, I think can be so key to allowing us to do the long-term uh, marathon work of change uh, that, we're, that we're already up to. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Thanks for that question, Sonia. Of course. Thank you so, so much for your time today. And thank you for that inspiring message. I think it will really resonate with listeners. And it means so much to me personally as multiracial youth to hear that there is a community and that we're not alone and that we're making a difference. So oh, I really appreciate it. It was so, so wonderful talking to you. Yay. Likewise. Thank you, Sonia. Have a wonderful day. Arigato. Merci. Jirijif. Tools and tech. Gracias. Festival. All of the things. Uh, it was so good to be able to talk in real time.